0: Welcome back to Breaking Banks, the number one fintech podcast and radio show globally in over 180 countries. Joining me in the hosting chair today is our crypto correspondent and expert, Ajit Tripathi. Ajit, welcome back to the big screen, Breaking Banks. Thank you so much,
2: Brett. Always a pleasure. And uh, we have some very special guests today. I see that.
0: Absolutely. Um, How how are things going in the crypto world with... um, The whole China ban stuff, is is that of any real impact?
2: Yeah, the China ban has always been very bullish for me, right? So in the last five years, every time we get a ban in China, I tend to buy more. And it's it's probably one of the most profitable trades in crypto. Now, that's a different story than the U.S. regulatory environment. And we're going to talk about that at some point in this show. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: All right, well, let's introduce our guests. Uh, We have joining us from... Mastercard, Raj Damodaran. Um, he's the uh, uh, and if I get if I got that wrong, please feel free to correct me, Raj. You, he's responsible. Okay, he's responsible for managing Mastercard's global strategy, products, and partnerships in the blockchain and digital asset space. Uh, he's looked after global partnerships uh, at uh, Mastercard um, and managing click to pay standards. Prior to Mastercard, he spent 14 years um, in various technology roles. Uh, you know, Silicon Valley and elsewhere. Also joining us is Walter Hessett. Um, uh, he's the head of strategy at Paxos. Walter is uh, an entrepreneur, strategist, has a decade of uh, software business uh, under his belt, but at uh, Praxis as, as Paxis as head of strategy, he leads corporate development and growth functions. Um, he's worked on PayPal. Uh, he's worked worked with PayPal, Mastercard, others uh, over this. He also led fundraising efforts for um, the Paxos of Series C and Series D. Walter Hesser, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Brett. Great to be on. So let's, um, let's just step back, you know, um, obviously, you know, the, one of the reasons we're talking today is that Paxos and MasterCard have, um, um, you know, announced a partnership in respect to crypto. I want to get into that in detail. Um, but um, maybe if we can just take an, an overview of how we got here Obviously, in 2008, the first, um, you know, the Bitcoin white paper from Satoshi drops. Um, and, you know, we have flowed on from there. Now, you know, Bitcoin was not the first cryptocurrency. You know, we could particularly, you know, point back to Second Life and Linden dollars. We could talk about QQ coins in China. There have been other forms of um digital or electronic currencies in the past but what was different about bitcoin and now that we're looking at you know a trillion dollars of uh, market cap for the crypto sector you know why did bitcoin why did bitcoin in particular take us down this path who wants to jump in on that front
2: bitcoin is still uh you know sort of the, the the primary example we have of decentralized money uh it's uh still kind of the linchpin of the crypto markets i think sometimes we don't realize that when things are going well you know especially in a bull run but you know uh the, the ethos of bitcoin is kind of what drives uh, the crypto ecosystem of course there has been a lot of innovation in in our space so uh uh, we, and and that's, that creates tremendous opportunity for, you know, what we're starting to call Web3 now, uh, which is, you know, how do we go from uh, at the Internet where uh, content creators own the platforms like so, you know, uh, where the content is distributed, which is different from how the Internet works today. So we're going towards an Internet of Value narrative to a, a web3 narrative and that's that's a terrific story so even though bitcoin didn't you know uh, doesn't address all possible use cases it's still a it's still the primary form of digital money on the internet in my personal opinion and uh, saraj so uh, i i think it'd be good to understand where uh, you know mastercard stand on uh, you, you know bringing digital money or crypto to the masses yeah, what's what's Mastercard's
0: official position on these alternative currencies, Rush?
3: Yeah, so we are. Um, so Mastercard has always been about choice. Um, uh, we have always been about providing choice to everyone in the ecosystem. Um, but when we want to provide choice, uh, we want to provide in a f- uh, frictionless manner. Uh, we want to make sure that the consumers, merchants, and everyone experiencing that choice whether in terms of different types of currencies or different um, types of uh, ways of moving currencies, whether it's card networks or ACHs or blockchain, um, we want to deliver that ch- choice, but we want to deliver that in a, uh, a frictionless manner. So all the innovations that we have built into the card network over the years, as well as other networks, is always about delivering that choice in a simple and safe way. And finally, when we are uh, enabling people choice, we also wanna make sure that it is safe and secure, right? So we wanna make sure that that experiences can be trusted uh, and can be assured that uh, transactions are safe and secure. So if you were to take these foundational principles and apply to crypto, um, that's what we've been doing, right? We can unpack this bit more in, in detail later. So we said, for example, um, We provide crypto cards today that provides access to um, uh, crypto wallets. Um, uh, And uh, for example, Uphold is a card that we have that provides access to the Bitcoin and ETH and other balances. And this is about delivering choice, but it's also delivering choice in a simple way. You can take that card and go tap and spend um, your your crypto holdings just the way that you would tap and spend your bank balances. It is also about security because you're you're assured that for the merchants who are accepting this payment, that consumer is a well-known consumer. There is a there is um, there is a way uh, for the consumer is KYC and provided access to and you can be sure that the goods and services are delivered to the consumer again. And if there are issues, then you have the entire protection. So we uh, are just a small example of how we think about it. So, yeah, um, the Bitcoin um, or other crypto, what we call as floating crypto, uh, is, um, is accessible through our network in an end-to-end way. Uh, that's just one simple example. We, we can unpack that more later on.
0: Um, Walter, tell me a bit more about Paxos and, and where crypto lies at the heart of your business.
1: So Paxos is building financial market infrastructure. And what that means is uh, uh, infrastructure for financial services, which traditionally is highly regulated. And so we have set out to build a highly regulated platform that can power B2B2B or B2B2C types of solutions for clients like MasterCard. And so an easy way to think about it is Paxos provides the bridge to blockchain for a lot of the largest financial services firms in the world. And what does that mean? That can mean you're accessing blockchain so that your customers can access, buy, hold, and sell natively digital assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum. It could mean accessing the blockchain so that you can take traditional types of assets in other asset classes whether it be cash or commodities or securities, and replatform them onto the blockchain or tokenize them onto the blockchain. Uh, and our platform is used for that. And then there are some downstream types of benefits, once that's done, that firms use our platform for. And that's like settlement uh, that is uh, today like payments. And that gets us to the way we're working together with MasterCard, where we are providing highly regulated infrastructure for MasterCard uh, and the MasterCard network that enables the settlement of these digital assets into their ecosystem in a really, really exciting way.
0: Know part of it is from a regulatory perspective, the regulations have been evolving um, but um, and, and will continue to do so. Um, but, um, you know where do we sort of divide regulation of cryptocurrencies from a, from a market perspective, typically? Um, like we know exchanges are regulated, but what other elements of regulation cross over the operation of, of cryptocurrency? Raj, did you want to have a shot at that?
3: Um, yeah. So, um, look, I think most of, um, our wallet providers uh, today, at least in US, connect through still so, um, um, a traditional, uh, you know, through a what we call as a PIN sponsor or through banks. That's how they connect in US. Uh, we directly also license them in markets. For example, we've licensed Wirex in UK directly to be a, an issuer on our our network. Um, and the regulations change uh, vary quite um, uh, quite widely in US. Um, I think there is a range of uh, regulations. Most of our, um, I think, wallet providers have some kind of money transfer licenses in U.S. And in other cases, there are e-money licenses uh, in some of the markets. I think it's a wide-ranging thing, Brett. I think it changes um, uh, quite a bit uh, from player to player. Um, and um, that's that's part of the complexity of this, right? So these regulations are evolving, for example, in, in Europe there is a proposed legislation called Mika that puts kind of um all of this under a framework i think it's still working its way through um the legislative process there uh, we generally welcome uh, more clarity in the space so that you know people know what rules to play by and um and uh, and we want to bring a compliant set of participants into the network and we can only do that in a in a clear and simple way, if the rules of the game are well known. I'm sure Walter has um, comments on this as well, because they operate under a a specific framework today, which we found helpful uh, as we work with them.
1: I I think that's, you know, everything Raj said is right. And I think maybe most importantly, uh, to answer your question, which Raj was saying, there's how all the different participants in the ecosystem are regulated. Are they an exchange? Are they a wallet? Are they a payments provider? Are they an issuer? Uh, are they a, um, a project that is running a protocol? And so there's all of these new and novel aspects of the ecosystem. Some map perfectly to uh, traditional financial services and some don't as easily. Uh, and those all have to be or uh, open the opportunity to be regulated differently there is jurisdiction by jurisdiction and then all of that's done under the umbrella of this is all evolving really quickly. So everything is changing you know in time here um, and you know in, in, in real time at that. I think that for us, what we're seeing now is a huge shift from early adopter of these crypto and digital assets to mainstream adoption. And, and I think a great signal for that is uh, everything Raj is doing at MasterCard. Um, uh, That wouldn't be happening if we weren't in this mainstreamification phase of the digital asset space. And I think that in that phase, it becomes really critical that we create a safe, competitive and transparent ecosystem. And of course, proper regulation and oversight is key to this. And that's been at the heart of Paxos and what we've been building here from the beginning. Uh, We have approached the space from the beginning with very much a ask for permission and not for forgiveness type of mentality, and we have sought from day one the highest level of regulatory oversight in the space. So what that's meant for Paxos is it started with a New York trust company. Uh, We were the first uh, trust granted by the New York Department of Financial Services in the digital asset space back in 2015. There's been a handful of firms that have followed we have gone beyond that to receive uh, a whole bunch of other approvals and access from regulators, including quite recently a conditional approval from the OCC, which is the federal bank regulator for a national trust bank. And so mm-hmm. the, the, being highly regulated uh, isn't something that we just do uh, because you know it's fun. Um, we do it because we think that this is an important part of bringing uh, this transformation, this replatforming more broadly across the whole financial system.
0: Understand? Um, do you guys do the crypto custody then, or because Mastercard is not doing custody, right?
1: Okay. Yeah, so we do crypto custody ourselves. We've uh, have our own custody solution that we built in-house and have been running for uh, nearly a decade now.
0: Um, so you guys today, Power, PayPal, Venmo, of course, we've seen others uh, be, you know, first movers in the space like Square and Robin Hood. Twitter has just enabled uh, Bitcoin tipping on the Twitter platform uh, uh, last week. So, um, you know, there's some, some progress there. But, um, you know, Ajit, did, do you want to dive into uh, the whole digital asset space? What's been
2: happening in that
0: space uh, mm. um, lately?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I come from, you know, the cyber uh, for Aave, uh, and uh, I, I'm in charge of building out our institutional capability. So Aave is one of one of the world's leading decentralized finance protocols, you know, probably one of the best known. And uh, uh, so, so we are kind of at the bleeding edge of, first of all, what, you know, everyone is calling the metaverse, uh, which is... Uh, you know, so Metaverse is kind of a buzzword, but what I think we're really talking about is the convergence of you know, all of the technologies, whether it's AI, VR, AR, uh, cloud, but also blockchain and crypto. And then the big idea there is that you know unlike in Web 2 where uh, for example, you know if I, if I publish a video on YouTube, then I don't own YouTube, right? I don't control YouTube as a creator. But uh, we are looking to see how this technology can be used to move to creator owned platforms, right? Where the creators through DAOs or other mechanisms, decentralized autonomous organizations or other token uh, mechanisms can essentially control the platforms where we are distributing content. So that's the hottest thing. And that's kind of, you know, we are doing a lot of work there. Then on the decentralized, in the decentralized finance has grown quite rapidly over the last two years to up to 150 billion in total value logged. That's causing a lot of excitement, uh, you know, on the amongst users we have been in The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, uh, Bloomberg, you name it uh, as a community. But then we have also been getting a lot of interest from regulators and policymakers in D.C. Bo- on both sides of the aisle. Right. And uh, there is quite a bit of action on the regulatory side with the F- with Mr. Gensler expressing his views uh, quite, uh, you know, differently from the rest of the industry. Coinbase essentially going out on Twitter uh, and expressing a difference of opinion with some of the regulators. Uh, There is just, you know, and and also the the big infrastructure bill going out, which essentially uh, doesn't necessarily recognize some of the the unique characteristics of this technology. So I'll just, uh, you know, pivot the question and non-fungible tokens, right? So NFTs are all the nfts and crypto gaming are are really hot in the sense that you know the pay to play model where uh, you can play a video game and earn uh, a pay to earn a play to earn model where you can essentially play a, video, a computer game on a built on a on ethereum and essentially earn uh, through that by just by playing that's pretty hot non fungible tokens digital art essentially blockchain certified jpegs if you will and video and music is really hot so so all of that innovation is you know happening at a breakneck speed there has been extraordinary amount of venture capital coming into this space i'm talking billions and billions but here is the the best biggest question for me right so and this is for both paxos and mastercard do we really think that the way regulation is going does it take into account uh, what can be done with this technology right at what point do we uh, sort of stop replicating uh, the infrastructure from, let's say, equity markets and debt markets and start to use the power of this technology to, to simplify uh, and build better uh, tools for compliance? And Walter, what are you seeing in that space? And Raj, you as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think that um, uh, the, the the answer uh is uh, almost certainly that we're trying to apply old regulatory frameworks or existing regulatory frameworks to this new technology space ecosystem. And that, of course, is problematic, uh, but um, it, 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 it just takes time. I don't know necessarily what the a better path is, of course, for the sake of innovation. It would be great if um, uh, it was just, uh, you know, pure innovation and, and, and wasn't slowed by regulation. But of course, that's not, you know, the way this, the, these things develop. And so, you know, at Paxos, uh, one of the things that we take as a responsibility, uh, really, as, you know, in, as one of the most regulated uh, players in the space, and given the types of firms that we serve is to really spend a lot of time with regulators, educating educating policymakers, and making sure that we're a part of that conversation so that uh, when we get regulation, it's done thoughtfully. And so I think that that is something that I, I see across the ecosystem too, is a lot of players, uh, even ones that are not Uh, uh, heavily regulated with the same type of regulatory oversight that Paxos has, really trying to participate in that education. And I would say that is really one of the bullish signals for me because that is what it's going to take. It's going to take uh, a a lot of time, a lot of education for us to get to the point where we have uh, really thoughtful regulation that enables us to innovate and also protects uh, uh, consumers uh, on, on, on one hand.
0: But I think that's part of the, the issue in terms of adoption and particularly in the mainstream side because, you know, you've got, um, you know, these leading crypto players that have been in the space for years now. You've got fintechs who like PayPal, uh, you know, one of your clients uh, that have adopted uh, crypto and included, included that. But a lot of the bank's haven't got basic crypto asset classes. They don't allow you to invest in crypto. They don't allow you to hold crypto. Um, and so that's sort of, the, the, there's been these two parallel worlds, right? Um, you know, Ajit talks about DeFi and, and and decentralized finance and and all of these things. And a lot of players in crypto have got into crypto because they thought That it was a challenge to the existing banking system. But how much do we see this early adoption by players like FinTech, sorry, PayPal and and Square, and now influencing mainstream banks in the United States and Europe to get into the crypto space? Raj, do you you
3: have any thoughts on that? Or Walter, after? Yeah, maybe quickly. Um, first of all, I agree with what uh, Walter is saying in terms of the evolution on the on the regulatory side. More clarity is welcome. Coming back to this bridge question that you asked, in term, uh, I think what's happening here is um, all the the first the crypto native players started launching wallets and services and, provi- and providing, and then the next um, set of people who had the large dis- digital distribution like PayPal, like Square. Uh, started launching buy, sell, hold wallets, which is what you're seeing. And Brett, as you kind of indicated, I think the next next click is um, many of the mainstream banks um, will get into the space in some capacity as well. You see some evidence of it. Bank of New York Mellon, for example, did um, on the, something on the custody side. And you're also um, seeing some of the banks experimenting with some of the stable coins. I think they will will get in the way that we think about it is that we can play a very helpful role in bridging between the crypto world and uh, and the traditional finance world. In fact, one of the projects that we worked on and which we will unpack this a little bit more later in the show is really about bringing, for example, the stable coins to everyone who wants to use them, either as a currency, transaction currency, or even a settlement currency. If a consumer wants to spend their holdings, they could use that. Uh, If a merchant wants to get paid in a a stable coin, for example, uh, they could do that as well. What that does effectively is bridges the currency world, the digital currency world into the mainstream, with millions and millions of merchants suddenly being able to get paid in the currency of their choice, and consumers are able to pay, and it's not just the merchants and consumers. I think it is extending the choice to the suppliers behind it. There is a bank involved behind the consumer, or a wallet involved behind the consumer. There's a bank involved um, um, uh, behind the merchant. They're getting the choice on. How best to use, uh, or pay their obligations or receive their receivables in the digital currency? Um, I think that you know that's a key building block in kind of um, uh, bridging these worlds, and uh, it provides scale. Um, we are able to bring the crypto community the scale, the entire access to the Mastercard scale, but in a safe and um, and simple way. And Walter,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, I I think that the You hear this question a lot like is there a tension between these large players these large existing financial services firms or technology firms creating access within their networks to cryptocurrency blockchain etc such that people access let's say bitcoin through a paypal wallet um and uh versus this idea that blockchain and digital assets crypto were meant to be an alternative system and I really don't see the tension that same way. Paxos powers the buy, hold, and sell for PayPal, Venmo. Uh, We power the crypto buy, hold, and sell for interactive brokers, for Revolut in the United States, and for dozens of other firms that are onboarding onto the platform right now such that we'll power a buy, hold, and sell experience inside some of the most trusted brands and trusted and most used products in the world for over a billion end users uh, in 2022. And so that's huge access. And I think that what that says to me is that customers really trust and they enjoy the using these products to be able to access things like cryptocurrency. And I think that when you say it doesn't really fulfill then its promise of being an alternative system, misses the fact that one of the great things about blockchain is access. And that allows an individual user like myself or you, Brett, to just go. And as long as you have access to the internet, you can access the network. uh, And you can access it directly. And you don't need to have membership of some sort of club or have some permission or some excessive fee. You get to access that. And so that becomes an option for everybody with the blockchain. But that doesn't mean that it becomes a better product or a better offering for some customers than going and accessing those products and digital assets through a product that they trust and use today. And that's where we're seeing enormous adoption through these trusted networks like PayPal, where the customers are saying, hey, we like this product. This is a trusted place where I can access these assets. Today, these are mostly closed loop kind of uh, buy, hold, sell experiences where you can just buy, hold, and sell, but you can't transfer it from the blockchain into your wallet or back onto the blockchain. But I can say that using the Paxos infrastructure, a lot of these firms, and frankly, I think all of them are moving towards an open system where they can buy, hold, sell, and transfer on and off the blockchain. And Paxos powers that in a fully client way. So it makes it very easy to do that in a regulated, transparent, and trustworthy way for your customers. And I think that as that phase two of these offerings develops people will really see that this is bringing all of the promise of blockchain which is access which is the global network and just because some people choose to access it through another network through another interface for a product maybe that is run by a centralized business that does not mean that they're getting the full benefit of the blockchain or crypto ecosystem
0: absolutely Uh, Well, just before we go to break, guys, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of, um, well, there are quite a few famous actors and people that have been pro-crypto. Of course, we remember John McAfee, uh, you know, he was big on crypto, but, um, you know, probably one of the more mainstream actors is um, Bill Shatner from Star Trek. Um, Big crypto guy, very bullish on crypto, um, engaged in the crypto community uh, extensively. It's just been announced that uh, William Shatner is going into space on Blue Origin next week. So um, maybe funded by crypto. Yeah? Ajit, you want to take us to
2: break? That's... That's Jeff Bezos' ship. So if it was Elon Musk's ship, he might have been funded by Dogecoin. But you never say never. Anyway, so uh, you know, so I think you know, one thing we have seen is even for DeFi, increasingly, the distribution is is going to come from centralized entities and regulated entities, right? So so I think what Mastercard, PayPal, uh, Paxos, and and all of the centralized entities are doing is essentially distributing this incredibly beautiful technology and system of digital assets and that's a really really important story right how do you take decentralized production and combine it with centralized distribution and and, and decentralized distribution is a really hard problem we'll talk more about that when we come back from the break uh, really exciting times ahead
0: have you ever felt frustrated when checking out online or making a payment over the phone the GoKart team at FIS Impact Labs certainly have and that's why they created a better payments experience. GoCard recognizes your email and lets you pay quickly anywhere with no passwords and no long forms. You can pay faster for anything, even things you wouldn't expect like healthcare, professional services, and more. GoCard also goes beyond online checkout and allows you to pay easily by email, text, or with QR codes. If you sell products or services online or in-store, Find out how you can use Go to simplify payments and increase your sales at slash podcast. That's slash podcast. Go Kart with a C. FIS, advancing the way the world pays, banks, and invests. Hi, this is Brett King, the host of Breaking Banks, and I want to tell you about the brand new book Richard Petty and I have coming out in November called The Rise of Technosocialism. This new book examines the philosophy of humanity as a species and how the 21st century is going to be the most disruptive, contentious period humanity has ever lived through. During the pandemic alone, we saw the wealth of the world's billionaires surpass $10 trillion for the first time. The richest 1% of Americans today hold more wealth than the bottom 90% and often don't pay taxes. Unemployment skyrocketed during the pandemic in 2020, but in reality, artificial intelligence could disrupt even more jobs, up to 80% of jobs today. The new industries we're creating will ironically face labour shortages because we simply aren't training our students with the right skills today. In the first 20 years of the 21st century, we saw protests double from the 20th century averages, while attendance at these protests climbed over a 1,000%. At the heart of this is economic uncertainty about our future, And this is being amplified by the pandemics. It will be amplified by AI and automation, climate change and, of course, inequality. So how will the next 30 years play out? AI has the potential to disrupt, but also to reframe government, making big government small. Universal healthcare, free education, universal basic income, and massive mobilisation of resources to mitigate climate change will all be part of the response needed to these seismic changes. The realisation that humanity needs to work together may be the biggest lesson of all. In technosocialism, we examined four possible futures, and three of those possible futures result in a chaotic and divisive world with rolling crises. But one possible future, what we call technosocialism, makes possible an inclusive, planned and emerging society where broad prosperity is possible. The book is out for global release in November. Feel free to check out www.riseoftechnosocialism.com for more information on the book and where you can get your copy. I'd be very grateful for your support and consideration of this new book, The Rise of Technosocialism. Welcome back to Breaking Banks. Uh, I am your host, Brett King, and I'm joined by Ajit Tripathi, uh, uh, who's joining us from uh, the EU. Where where in the EU are you today? I'm in London. You're in London. You're in Uh, your home.
2: I'm in London. We are no longer Europe, Brett. In fact, I have to stand in long lines. Well, yeah,
0: yeah, technically. Yes. Well, no. You you Brexited, and that's why you didn't have any fuel or food at the moment.
2: yeah yeah we could you couldn't buy fuel even with Bitcoin around here. It's it's been yeah. pretty bad. Uh, but anyway, moving on swiftly.
0: Absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the things we hear a lot of talk about in the space right now, well, Walter, is stable coins. Um, how do stable coins differ from things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, particularly?
3: Well.
1: Bitcoin and Ethereum only ever exist on the blockchain, and you know, they're natively digital assets. And the difference between that and a tokenized asset, or in this case, a stablecoin, is that it is a, uh, another asset that is represented on the blockchain uh, and that maintains or intends to maintain a stable value pegged to that other asset
0: so for example it could be a basket of currencies it could be a us dollar et cetera, right
1: yeah the most popular stable coins uh certainly today have been us dollar stable coins and that makes sense because it is um the most popular currency in the world i think uh, i've heard that 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 80% of of global transactions on one side of them are us dollars and so you know the the world likes to transact in dollars. And so as the cryptocurrency ecosystem uh, grew, even from the early days and people started to trade Bitcoin and then uh, at the advent of other uh, types of uh, popular cryptocurrencies, they wanted to trade those against US dollars. And so the original pull and, 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 and much of the pull of stable coins today, and when I say pull, I mean because there's a draw, there's a demand for dollars to be represented on the blockchain has come from traders and retail and institutions trading cryptocurrencies need to have a dollar on the blockchain so that they can trade in dollars but not be restricted to settling the dollar or fiat leg it at, at, at the, the, the speed or with the restrictions of banking hours. And so uh, stablecoins have really grown, they've flourished, they've become, I would say, uh, even though they're it's somewhat of a vanilla product when done well, it is one of the most exciting innovations in the space. Um, and, and, and they've become a really important cornerstone of the whole cryptocurrency space. Paxos has been really involved in stablecoins from the beginning uh, as an issuer. And what that means is we take US dollars, We hold them in the trust company, which means they're bankruptcy remote, fully segregated. We invest them uh, in cash equivalents and hold them in cash. And for everyone that we hold in reserve, we issue a stable coin or a token onto the blockchain. So now that dollar can move 24-7 very inexpensively all over the world with all of the properties of a cryptocurrency, except underneath you have a stable US dollar that's always redeemable one for one. And so that creates a lot of uh, uh, exciting potential. And I would say that we're just at the early days, even though stablecoin market caps over $100 billion today and is growing at an unbelievable rate, we're really just at the early days uh, of seeing how uh, this new technology and how these assets are going to be uh, used.
0: Now, um, just two days ago, um, well, just a couple of days ago, um, Jerome Powell uh, was talking about cryptocurrencies. And um, we have seen that Washington is now talking about stablecoins amongst the top officials, particularly in terms of bringing federal oversight to digital assets. Um, But, um, you know, Gensler. At the Securities and Exchange Commission wasn't as as bullish. He said that um, stable coins were like pi- poker chips at a casino. And he said that the long-term viability of cryptocurrencies was questionable. Now, obviously, he's a very traditional guy. But on the same stage, we've got central bank digital currencies emerging like the E1 out of China. And China's clearly putting a huge amount of both regulatory effort and marketing effort and you know logistics operations into acceptance of their central bank digital currency, which could be called a a a regulated stable coin in in some ways right or uh you know it's a it's a digital fiat um but so these two sides of this coin the, the 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 washington uh regulatory uh cabal who says there's no future in crypto we're looking at stable coins maybe we'll put some regulation in place to protect protect uh um you know consumers you've got a a $2 trillion investment in crypto globally from from individuals. You've got China banning crypto to support the CBDCs. Where does this all end up in a few years? Raj, where, where do you think we'll be in four or
3: five years of this? Yeah, so this uh, four or five years is a long time in crypto world. A long time Let um, me not trying to predict, but what I think we can safely say is that we'll end up in a continuum. Um, what that means is that you will have... You'll continue to have um, the Bitcoin and the Ether and a and, and few other currencies um, on the on the digitally uh, or blockchain native currencies, as as Walter talked about. You will have um, some form of stable coins. I think the key thing here really is about um, how they are regulated in each jurisdiction that may vary. So you will see that continuously um, present and you will have some form of um. Uh, bank deposits as well exist in the in the digital form they're already in the digital form but there is some early work happening there in terms of bringing them to to the uh, to the blockchain space and then you will have central bank digital currencies and like you a, you gave an example of china but again um, all of these as these different currencies come about end of the day it comes down to acceptance i think you alluded to this as well and how are these currencies accepted and used in everyday? And and that's where kind of networks like us can help us. Uh, For example, when uh, uh, Bahamas Sand Dollar got launched, we launched one of the very first um, cards. Uh, I think it is one of the world's first card, a CBDC-based card that provided access to central bank digital currencies in existing acceptance network using existing consumer experience, which is bringing the card to tap and pay at the point of sale. So what this brings is, first from a central bank perspective, the utility for the currency is instant. Um, if the currency is only useful as many places they're accepted in, and that's where that choice comes in. And the stable coins, the same thing. Um, uh, it again comes down to choice, and which is what which is what we provide through our our global network. So I see a variations of all of that, and that entire continuum existing in different forms, and which. Uh, currencies exist in a given country. It really depends on the the local, you know, regulatory uh, framework that emerges out of that.
2: So, uh, uh, Walter, for, uh, for you first, and for Raj, right? So, it's it's amazing, or rather, slightly concerning, how tied the crypto ecosystem and the value in the crypto market is to the U.S. dollar and dollar equivalent instruments, right? So, back in. I think I'm old enough to remember when uh, all the crypto exchanges used to list BTC pairs, and all the decentralized exchanges used to lo- list ETH, ETH pairs like you know ether delta and so on. And 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 now I think we've gotten from there to a point where after the after Tether started, of course you know US dollar equivalent instruments have grown the crypto market from a few billion to a few, I think 2.2 trillion as of this morning and 2.5 trillion at max. Uh, so, so the growth has been enormous, but then I think you know th- now the, the crypto ecosystem feels a little bit at the mercy of the U.S. Uh, you know dollar and therefore the U.S. regulators and institutions. So, uh, so, so and 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 I see that you know Paxos have been doing a lot of work recently on USDP, and and Paxos stablecoin is also supported in the Aave protocol. So you know have, uh, quite a bit of experience working with the Paxos team on that. Uh so where do you see, uh, you know, the, the risk is that a lot of this ecosystem could shrink quite significantly depending on the direction of U.S. regulation, both securities law and banking rules that might apply to different types of stablecoins. Where do you see this going uh, and uh, in terms of the growth of stablecoins going forward uh, and, you know, uh, and the overall impact on the crypto market that might arise from uh, regulation of stablecoins? It's a good
1: question. I think that the one of the challenges is that the U.S. dollar is still the best global currency, right? It's not. Um, uh, not
2: Bitcoin, Walter.
1: I, I I think in reality it's not yet Bitcoin. I think it could be Bitcoin. Uh, it would be it would be great if we get there, but today it's you know very volatile, um, and it's it's it, it just doesn't really serve that purpose yet. Um, I think to. You know the adoption of the whole world to get familiar, even with an entirely new denomination, is a a huge hurdle to overcome. um, If it were to have all of the properties that would make it the best uh, uh, global currency, but as long as U.S. dollar is the best global currency, uh, then it's going to probably continue to be the uh, you know in the same type of demand that it is as we see in the crypto ecosystem today and. I think that the the you know that's not really what uh, concerns me right now because it is providing an incredible bridge from the broader market into the crypto ecosystem, right? These are familiar denominations; they're uh, trusted backing with the U.S. dollar, uh, and they're they, they are being integrated into platforms like Mastercard. That hundreds of millions, if not billions, of people around the world already trust. So I would say, if you look at the, the 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 cost versus the benefit, it's clearly a net benefit for me what 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 these tokenized dollars are doing for the crypto ecosystem, and I really think of them as an important gateway uh, for for you know the. The, the real mainstreamification of of crypto assets, and more importantly, for the utility of crypto assets. So, can mm. we start to use these things as 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 real payments? Can we start to use these things in the economy versus just ah an asset for speculation? And U.S. That's, that's dollar stablecoins are going to help us get there.
0: Again. That's the big problem with Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin has not been a means of value exchange. The design floor is that people want to hold hold it all, all the time, are Right? You know, so that you know, so you could argue that for us to have a real global cryptocurrency, the main thing it needs is the fact that people want to use it to spend which requires stability right it doesn't require speculation right
2: yeah yeah yeah, i I mean i think that's uh, i'm slightly let's ask raj
0: let's 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 get raj to jump in on this
3: no no i was i was just gonna uh just build on what you said right and uh, in fact we think that stability is quite important right so if you look at from a let's let's talk about there is there is there's the consumers on the spend side and the merchants on the receive side what do the merchants want merchants want predictability of what their um receivables are and they definitely want access to the two trillion dollars that i just talked about in terms of the consumer spend power they definitely want access to that so if uh, if you ask a merchant do they want to accept um bitcoin they would say okay, it doesn't matter whether it's Bitcoin or not, I want consumers to be able to spend the assets that they have in my place. I want that spend power. So what we are looking at it is saying, and we want to do that in a way that the merchant, if you look at their liabilities, their liabilities are all in US dollars or other local currencies, and they want to be able to predictability in how the receivables come in. So what we are looking to do here, and this this the work that we did with Paxos is actually a key building block for this, is that um, consumers get access to their wallets and uh, and uh, and the balance in their wallets through a card program, and and the merchants get um, settlement choice through one of the currencies that they like today. We support dozens of currencies in which they get paid. We're looking to add stable coins to that mix as well. Uh, we right now with the work that we are doing with Paxos, we've enabled the choice for the for the wallet side. So, um, Brett, you set up the question and asking how the uh, is is the stablecoin a good vehicle here? And we really think that the crypto native world sitting in bitcoins and ether and other currencies, and they want predictability in terms of how they settle with the rest of the ecosystem. Stablecoins are building, providing that bridge today. That's really what we've what we've done, and it is allowing them to execute that BTC to let's say USDP pair quickly in a twenty four by seven um, exchange that's available. For them to uh, silver player like master. and uh, um, yeah, it's it's really about stability and uh, and providing that stability at scale. You know, requires currencies that can interoperate with the old and the new. Now, Walter, yeah. you, you talked about the
0: USD being the dominant global currency, but you know, China is setting itself up for the twenty first century to challenge that. Um, in that. They have the Belt and Road Initiative, which is their sort of core global infrastructure they're investing in. You know, we see uh, President Xi uh, last week talking about the fact that they're not going to sponsor coal plants anymore, despite the fact that they're very reliant on coal still in China for for a period of time. Um, And so you look at the Belt and Road, you look at the central bank digital currency that China has launched successfully. Um, You know, what happens when they start to enforce the use of CBT CBDC for trade for example you got to trade with China you've got to buy e1 to be able to do it um, you know how might that affect um, the way we look at digital currencies versus uh, you know the the old greenback which is a century a, essentially a 16th century technology right
1: yeah I think that that that's one way to look at it. I think there's another way um, to think about it, uh, which you know makes a little bit of sense to me when I think of how these are going to develop and how they're going to compete with one another. If I think of them as like a global competition for digital currencies, and I do think that currencies, uh, traditional fiat currencies, and certainly digital currencies have moral properties to them, and I think that there is um, uh, kind of freedom certainly embedded in the currencies that we see the native cryptocurrencies like bitcoin and um uh, ethereum etc and i think that that exists also in the us dollar and is uh creates some of the global demand and interest for the us dollar and i think that although the 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 chinese chinese have won the headlines in getting this you know product launched and A certain level of success. I don't think uh, anyone would argue it's been uh, a huge success. That um, that that ultimately, it's going to be hard for the 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 Chinese to create a winning global digital currency that is uh, issued by the central bank, uh, given the um, uh, the type of regime and the type of uh, you know moral properties that that would embed in that currency versus something that is either natively digital, uh, which is uh, uh, kind of the best example or much more free currencies like US dollars.
3: Yeah, and um, and actually uh, I think that the China, uh, the pilot that's going on is very much domestic at the moment, right? That's another point that that's where the focus is. Yes, it could extend into their trade, but I would argue, um, Nothing stopping them uh, from requiring settlement for trade happening in the um, in in their uh, in their uh, cross border transactions today in in Chinese yuan, uh, right? So there is nothing stopping them from doing in the traditional fiat side. I'm not sure CBDC version of it. Um, is, is any different i think it's more of a policy question and an economic question on what is the best currency to tr- settle for international trade and i, I think that will play a bigger role than whether it is a cbdc or not i think in the short term at least fair enough
2: so i have a question on that right so so where i've seen uh, you know bitcoin uh so, so the, the the in summary the challenge with with crypto, is that there isn't a lot of use of crypto, specifically Bitcoin, in the real economy, right? People aren't buying pizzas and, and paying for services with Bitcoin in the most parts. And yeah, merchants-the Bitcoin. Merchants pizza. don't necessarily want to accept Bitcoin, as Raj said. And I have personal experience working with Paxfuls payments product, but they do they do so where fiat is unstable, right? So I've seen that in Nigeria, I've seen that in a variety of emerging markets in the Far East where, you know, the local currency is actually unstable, unlike the US dollar, then there is quite a bit of acceptance of Bitcoin as an alternative, especially when the US dollar is not available. and And if, you know, this digital Chinese Yuan actually becomes available as a currency for foreign trade and for real economy in those countries then it could really have make a dent and you know really start to threaten the hegemony of the US dollar but uh, moving on from that quite quickly uh, i think uh, the question is right in that uh, so 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 there is a there is a distinctive use case for crypto that doesn't depend on the US dollar and therefore, it there is you know this uh, there is a reason that I think crypto ha- adds incremental value in in addition to the assets we already have in the world today. So what's uh, what what's your philosophy with regards to you know integrating with the, the, the new Web three infrastructure that's coming along with NFTs, right? Are we going to see Raj Mastercard on OpenSea for buying those uh, wonderful? Uh, you know, art blocks and, and crypto punks? Uh, and Walter, are you going to hold custody of crypto punks? Because, you know, this, this space is moving so fast. And are we going to see Axie Infinity uh, integrated? Well, you've, you've got,
0: Walter, you've got USDP, right? Your own stablecoin, right?
2: Yeah. I, th- I think to add this point, I think that
1: the, the NFT world is um, fascinating um, at the moment, given what it is that everyone is so excited about, the actual you know, collectibles that it is. Uh, but I think that um, uh, underlying that, it's really uh, a, a technology, um, a new way of owning things and buying things and um, uh, sharing things on the internet that never existed before. And I think that we're only going to see that space grow um, at an unbelievable rate in ways that we really can't imagine right now. And NFTs, which are most easily identified today uh, as these collectibles, these kind of digital pieces of art, are going to be used for the technology of of a non-fungible token, are going to be used for all types of things like Identity or, or or information sharing on the um, uh, on the blockchain, and I think it's going to be used in incredible ways uh, in games, which is already happening at a really kind of fast rate. Um, the innovation there, and so I do think we're just at the beginning. And if you ask me, do I think that the large firms that are using us today to access, buy, hold, and sell of native crypto? Will they be integrating with NFTs and, and, and allowing access for their customers to buy, hold, transfer, send them uh, in, in, in the not so distant future? I'd say absolutely. Uh, so that's going to, 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 to come. And I think that, you know, as far as our stablecoin USDP, I think that you're going to start to see just broadly across the board more use cases, whether it's buying NFTs or whether it is buying um, a cup of coffee. Um, in real life. And so I think that what we've focused on, which sets us up for success in this next wave of stablecoin growth, is we've focused on transparency and regulation. And what that means is our assets are actually explicitly approved by our regulator, the NYDFS, uh, so that they oversee the issuance and they oversee the operations behind that stable coin, which include things like managing of the reserve. And uh, number two, the transparency. We've been very transparent that we take those uh, the, the, the $14 billion today that we hold, backing the stable coins that we have issued, and we invest them only in cash and cash equivalents. And that's something that our regulator has visibility and approval rights over what we do with those reserves. And so why that's important is because now that we're seeing the shift of these stable coins being used from for just crypto trading and for things like DeFi into payments for goods and services, settlement into the MasterCard network, real types of, uh, of, of traditional economic activity and payments, that is where that kind of extra level of oversight an extra level of regulatory transparency becomes really, really important. And what we're seeing now is firms like MasterCard create the infrastructure for what is going to usher in an entirely new level of utility and new ways these stablecoins will be used. And I think it's a really, really exciting moment right now. And I think that 2022 is going to be a year where we see a huge shift of the way stablecoins are used in the market.
3: Raj. Yeah, quickly coming to Ajit's point, um, we very much believe in um, NFT and what the technology enables, especially on the creator side. And in fact, Mastercard is looking at, um, look, at, we have a broad, we have a, a very re- well, well respected brand, and we also have sponsorship relationship on the sports world across the world so we believe in um you know using nfts as a, as a rewards if you will um we've launched the first nft um that is a sweepstakes going on right now where we're creating nft in partnership with uh Jose um uh, I don't know, a football coach um, of roma uh, that's just the start right so we we're creating that nft and it's going to be available to the consumers and um and uh, we have a large priceless rewards platform. Uh, we look forward to using many of those um, assets out there and creating NFT as a, a rewards platform. That is one. And, um, and, and, and the second point that I want to make, building on what Walter talked about, this stablecoin enablement, just coming back to the main point, um, is the way we think about this is that look at our network. We have um, billions of cards, millions and millions of merchants, and working in an interoperable way and in a safe and secure manner, and by adding stable coins to our network, we're really becoming another CBDCs and other eligible cryptocurrencies to the network. What we're really doing is um, making the our network as the layer two network, the most scalable, most secure layer two network for the blockchain network. Right, so it is it. Consumers can pay and get settled instantly and in a safe and secure manner. That's how we look at it. We can bring scale to the crypto right. world using the existing uh, approaches that has worked um, uh, in the industry for quite some time. Thanks, Raj.
0: Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time. But uh, just before we go, um, you know, where, where do people find out more about the Paxos MasterCard uh, partnership, Walter?
1: Well, I think uh, maybe the best thing to do is to um, uh, Google Paxos Mastercard. Uh, you can visit the Paxos blog at paxos.com, um, and uh, um, maybe most importantly, stay tuned for a lot of exciting new developments uh, on that front. We're really excited to to have have had the opportunity and 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 be partnered with Mastercard on this pilot, and 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 more broadly, their journey into this space, which is so important both for MasterCard and also for the broader space
0: all right we'll tr- also try and tweet out from the MasterCard news newsroom uh, in terms of the press release stuff there and so forth but uh, um, Raj uh, you know how do you think uh, MasterCard customers both uh, end users of, of MasterCard and and the banks and partnership partners you have are going to respond to this new sort of crypto custody capability that you guys have built as a result of Paxos?
3: Um, look, I think they're responding really well. Um, I we've launched a set of partners um, who are now settling every day through this arrangement today. So we this has exceeded our expectations in terms of both um, both the traffic and 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 the ultimate demand. So there are more partners going to be added to this. Stay tuned for this. There are a lot more partners who want to partners who want to take advantage of this approach. Um, I think it is fast moving out of the pilot into more of a, a commercial offering, if you will. Uh, we look forward to um, working with Paxos and other partners out there to, to to scale the solution and eventually bring the same level of choice to the merchant side as well. Great. Well, Walter has said-
0: Raj Damodaran and Ajit Tripathi, uh, my co-host. Thanks for uh, joining us on Breaking Banks and talking uh, stablecoins, crypto and crypto custody and all of these things today. Have a a great week.
2: Thank
0: you. Thanks Thanks
1: for having us. Thanks, Brett.
0: That's it for this week. If you like the show, make sure to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform or share it with a friend or share it on social media. We'll see you again next week with more breaking banks.